Welcome to the Capitol Beach. My name is Derek Brockbank. I'm the executive director of Coastal States Organization and the host of the Capitol Beach. We are continuing with our Coastal Zone Management Act at 50 uh, podcast series, and I'm joined today by uh, two more experts on uh, the National Estuary and Research Reserve Association. I'm really glad to uh, have Erica Seiden uh, with NOAA's Office for Coastal Management and Rebecca Roth with the National Estuary and Research Reserve Association. Um, and so we'll, we'll get a chance to talk to hear from both of them about how the NERS system uh, was established under the Coastal Zone Management Act and, and what the Coastal Zone Management Act means for the NERS, how it, how it influences how the, these reserves are managed. Uh, but first, let's take a quick word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today are brought to you by Geodynamics, an NV5 company specializing in providing accurate surveys of complex coastal environments worldwide. Driven by marine geology, coastal science, and remote sensing, our researchers use the latest technology to provide meticulous data products to support our clients and answer their toughest questions. Geodynamics carefully designs and executes hydrographic, geophysical, sub-bottom, and near-shore surveys using our fleet of customized vessels and sensor configurations. You can find us at nv5geospatial.com or geodynamicsgroup.com. Geodynamics, delivering solutions, improving lives. And be sure to subscribe to the CNT Daily Blast newsletter for the latest news and updates from around the American shoreline. Like what you're hearing and want to support the network? Sponsorship packages are available now. Go to coastalnewstoday.com slash advertising to learn more. Okay, uh, well, really excited to have both of these guests and uh, definitely want to have them introduce themselves. But before we introduce themselves, for folks who might not be familiar with what the National Estuary and Research Reserves are, um, Erica, maybe I'll ask you to briefly explain what is a NUR, um, and then uh, tell us a bit about yourself and how uh, how your work supports these supports the system. Happy to, and thanks so much for having me, Derek. Uh, excited to be here. I would say first and foremost, each National Estuarine Research Reserve is a very special place on your coast with unique characteristics and communities that surround them. Uh, and uh, reserves are unique for for many reasons. They're based on a state-federal partnership. They are representative of a unique estuary type. Uh, They are not just individual sites, but they make up a collaborative network of sites that learn from each other uh, to support national coastal management. Our system is currently 30 reserves strong now, and uh, these places are protected for long-term research and education with our work within them serving to inform coastal management and inspire hopefully future generations to take care of them. So my role as the NOAA manager for the National Estuarine Research Reserve System is to to lead and guide the system into the future. We have a multitude of passionate, brilliant people working within our system. And my job is really to harness that and try to lead us forward. So I guide strategic thinking and planning and work with leads uh, for each of our programs to ensure we're meeting the needs of our reserves and their communities. And I believe one of the most important things I can do honestly is to listen to the priorities and challenges at each reserve, encourage strategic thinking and innovation, and really promote strong listening and communication across our system. It really sets the stage for supporting a vision that everyone can rally behind and work toward. 
Excellent. Thank you, Erica. And uh, for regular listeners of the American Shoreline Podcast Network, you very well might have heard Rebecca Roth. She's a, a frequent guest, um, was recently heard uh, talking about the newest NUR, which I believe was in Connecticut, unless uh, unless there's another one coming up. Um, but Rebecca, why don't you introduce yourself and, and tell us about what uh, the role that NERA plays in supporting the National Estuarian Research Reserve System? Thank you. And so good to be with you, Derek, and with Erica as well. I, um, as you said, I work for the National Estuarine Research Reserve Association. That means we are the best friends uh, to the research reserve system. Um, no, seriously, we're a national nonprofit, and we represent um, the voices of each of the 30 reserves around the system and the collective work that happens um, there in, in our goal to advocate uh, for the reserve system and to educate about all the good things that are happening. And that's not just um, at each of these special places, but also um, by our partners at, at the Office for Coastal Management and the friends groups. We are, are uh, There are 24 friends groups around the country that support their reserve locally. So um, my job is really to um, be sure that this, uh, this information helps establish um, greater capacity and build partnerships and do all that I can to support the National Estuarine Research Reserve System, or the NEARS, as we like to say, um, in all of their efforts. Thanks, Rebecca. Really glad to have you. Love love getting the the multi perspective, the perspective of of NOAA, the federal agency, as well as the NGO that supports the reserves. Um, and the reason you guys are both here today talking about this on this show is because the reserves were authorized in the Coastal Zone Management Act. The Coastal Zone Management Act, which we've if you've listened to the the past couple episodes, you've heard sort of the history and and the the the, the context for. Um, but it wasn't just about just about management. It also actually authorized the, the, the nurse. And so, um, Eric, I guess I'd, I'd look to you to maybe give us a little background here is, can you tell us about that sort of the early years of the NERS, the Coastal Zone Management Act passed in 1972? How did, I mean, how did, how did the NERS come to be from the Coastal Zone Management Act? Well, I think, as you said, you've got a lot of history from, uh, my colleague, David Kaiser and all of those efforts in the late sixties and early seventies, um, the Stratton commission, uh, calling for a report and uh, really realizing that we needed something like the CZMA and the Congress enacted that to protect our environment from those growing demands that uh, we associate with residential, recreational, commercial, industrial use. Um, at the same time, they called for NOAA. And at the same time, uh, Congress passed the Estuary Protection Act, um, which really undertook a national estuary study to inventory and study the nation's coastal areas. And I believe really the results of, of that study and um, all of the work that was done to lay the groundwork for the Coastal Zone Management Act really laid the foundation for what was first called uh, the Estuarine Sanctuary Program. And, and now is, as Rebecca just said, we affectionately call it the NIRS. So that's really what laid the foundation for getting us, I think, in, in the act, so to speak. And when we began in the early 70s, we really started with just a handful of reserves. And then in the 80s, uh, we grew to another 12 more. Uh, in the 90s, nine, eight more. And then um, only five have been designated in, in the 2000s. And, and each is representative of a biogeography and estuary type. So 
that these representative areas can really serve data information and lessons learned to similar areas across our coastline. So we have reserves covering all bioregions with the exception of eight areas, and most of those that are not filled are in the Great Lakes, in Alaska, and the Pacific Islands, kind of the more remote areas um, within the United States. So with regard to how we've grown kind of as a collective program, really in the beginning, as you can imagine, with only a handful of reserves, uh, they were individual entities that operated individually with a limited budget and staff. And as the system grew, reserves began talking to each other. And eventually in the 90s, we spawned our first what we call system-wide program. Um, And so really folks came together and said, what can we do collectively, not just individually at our sites? And what is a benefit that we can really have by doing that? So the first system-wide program um, was called the System-Wide Monitoring Program, or we call it SWAMP. And that was to monitor water quality and weather. And over time, we really built on that collaborative culture. And NOAA and the reserves have since then worked really closely to design, develop, and implement additional system-wide programs. Um, When I say system-wide, that means all the reserves are implementing their program in the same way, using the same methods and protocols, uh, which allow us to compare data and information. So over the years, we've had a number of competitive research efforts. Um, Now we have the Science Collaborative, which competitively funds collaborative science at our reserves. And we have the Margaret A. Davidson Fellowship Program, which competitively offers a fellowship at each reserve for master's and doctoral students. And then education has always been a really strong component, whether that be in interpretation or exhibits or trails or formal programs for youth. But over time, we developed uh, the system-wide K through 12 Estrin Education Program, whose signature is now our Teacher on the Estuary Program, where we train teachers on how to meet science curriculum standards through engaging students on on coastal issues and understanding how to address them. And last but not least, we discovered there was a need for a different type of education uh, of our coastal decision makers, those folks who are responsible for making decisions about the coast. So we developed the Coastal Training Program, which really puts information and tools in their hands um, to address the challenges that they face in their jobs. So Being a partnership program, all of these were developed collaboratively, and NOAA has the role of providing national leadership and guidance, uh, distributing funding, and providing technical assistance while while each of the reserves is implementing the program via their state agency or university at their local level. Thank you, Erica. And I really want to start digging into that last part, the collaborative nature, because it's wonderful and amazing as the the NERS are with their conservation, their research, the education, the training program. They've got so many different missionaries. Um, You know, to me, the the sort of the policy wonk in me finds it really interesting of how they are managed and how those those programs develop. So you mentioned the role that NOAA has. You mentioned the role that the state state agencies have. I guess maybe, Rebecca, maybe I'd turn to you first on this one, but can you talk a little bit about how an individual research reserve is managed. So who's who's responsible for it? Is it is it more state? Is it more federal? Fully collaborative? What's the role for external stakeholders or other partners? Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure, I'd be happy to. And and I think this gets at the heart of the you know how and why the NEARS were created. 
Um, so there was a real outcry from you know the public in general, which is why you saw Congress take on the nation's first land use planning law in the Coastal Zone Management Act. But what what people really were caring about was the loss of wetlands, the loss of public access to the beach, the views, and so and and really wanting to protect these estuaries for you know um, not just ju- not just for research but um, to have them protected in perpetuity for generations to come. And so when you look at the state, um, the state role in this, it, it was granted through the CZMA um, to the states to decide if there were special estuaries that met the criteria um, of significance biogeographically and that they wanted to put forward for protection in perpetuity. And in partnership, deciding that with NOAA, with the lead agency and with the communities, um, it, you know, it, it's a grass it's a grassroots up sort of um, process. And while they maintain um, they while they maintain the land and they um, they own the land, and that's part of the the deal when these things are designated uh, by NOAA. Jumping in, when you say they own the land, is that the state that owns the land, or is that? How like who owns the actual land or property? Well, it's either the state or the university, and in one instance, we have a nonprofit that that agrees through a, um, a memorandum of understanding to protect the lands um, in perpetuity. So around the country, in all thirty places, we're talking about over one point four million acres, right? And so you know, again, it's a partnership program. So you've got you know Noah's wings kind of there in the communities and bringing their science and technical capacity to bear in supporting, um, you know, the vision that that is created locally from communities to designate each one of these reserves and work in partnership, not just with NOAA, but with the other coast and ocean managers that are doing, you know, stewarding the coast uh, in their state, as well as, as Erica said, the entire system of reserves working together collaboratively. I think that's helpful. And, and actually, a quick follow up on that. You mentioned universities, in some cases, universities on the land. I've often associated, at least in my mind, uh, NERS with, with universities. Is there a statutory requirement for that? Or is it just often that the community um, is sort of brought together by the university? In not every instance is it a university, so that's you know less than probably less than half. But it, it really it's a matter of it's a it's a matter of a process to look at which lands are appropriate, and they have that set up in the designation process. So they don't come in with a predetermined. It's going to be this um, particular parcel of land. It's something that there is a site selection committee that gets established before any reserve is is designated to look at the appropriate lands to be included in this, um, in, in this uh, memorandum of understanding. And then I guess, Erica, maybe you could talk about how NOAA views it sort of as, as NERS are coming on board or as their proposals that are from the grassroots. How does NOAA decide where to engage, how to engage, when to engage, and when to sort of uh, approve the, their own, the memorandum of, of understanding to establish a NERS? Sure thing, uh, Derek. And building on what Rebecca said, it is quite a process to designate a reserve. And we are in the process in two such places, uh, up in the Great Lakes on Lake Michigan and in Louisiana. And they're both relatively in kind of the same space of putting their site selection committees. And we have a suite of criteria by which those committees will review a variety of, of land parcels to kind of determine 
which ones are best suited to be a reserve, which ones are as pristine as possible, uh, that can serve research and education purposes, that we can learn about climate change impacts, and we can kind of protect, if you will, resources and a complete estuarine ecosystem into the future. And so when you talk about the memorandum of agreement, to be quite honest, that happens way down the road. So we've selected the site. Uh, the state has created a management plan around that site. And um, we then, as part of that management plan, are developing the memorandum of agreement between NOAA and the state. But as Rebecca said, you know, there are a number of potential landowners um, within even just one reserve. So there's uh, up to 50% of a reserve can be federal. So we have National Wildlife Refuge or state park lands also within our reserves, and or it can be city, uh, state, county, um, anything that's already in the public domain, if you will, or has an easement on it that provides for long-term protection. Man, I think that's so cool. I mean, when you think about sort of areas of of land protection, or at least at least when I think of areas of land protection, you usually think of your like your national seashores, which are run by the national parks, or you think of your wildlife refuges, which are run by the Fish and Wildlife Service, or you think of you know the the, the coastal monuments, which are you know BLM. So you've got all these different like agencies, or you think of a state park, which is you know a state land. Um, but NERS are really multi jurisdictional entity. I mean, they, they, they include land that can be, you know, across, um, across jurisdictions and, and, and they're, and they're managed that way too. I, I also think that's just such a, a nice way of, um, exemplifying the coastal zone management act and the idea that, you know, coastal management is not just a federal authority. It's not just a state authority. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm just sort of waxing on that. Anything you'd like to, to add about that? No, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm just sitting here with a big grin because, it, you know, we are partnership with a capital P and that state federal partnership is really where it all begins. And as part of that, then, you know, we this line, this boundary that we're drawing around reserves is basically just collecting partners. Right. We're really building on the foundational protection that lands already have and really trying to garner the the capacity of those different entities and all of the people working within that area to to come together and solve the issues together and that's uh, I really think a beautiful part of who we are and our and our system in general couldn't agree more okay well uh, let's take a we're, we're reaching sort of the end of our time but want you guys to Give some thoughts on where does what does the future hold for the the NERS system? Um, obviously, we're facing a you know tons of coastal challenges, and NERS are on the front line of all of those. But how do you see the system um, adapting and evolving to meet the challenges of the next fifty or so years? So, <laughs> as we look back over the last fifty years, um, a lot of the challenges that we face then are still relevant today, and. I think that those challenges are just going to continue to grow and um, kind of become more complex as we've seen. And so I think that the five programs that I mentioned before are going to help lead us into the future. So the more work that we can do with those programs in the community to really understand the health and the impacts of climate change and the um, health of our our estuarine habitats and, and water quality within them, um, as well as then really dig into how do we manage 
population growth and, and loss of these natural resources? And um, how can we balance uses and protect these areas for future generations. So so building on those programs, our foundational programs that we have, as well as really thinking about new technologies that we can bring to bear, new partnerships that we can bring to bear to take us into the next 50 years. Excellent. Thank you, Erica. Um, our, our next sort of podcast on the, the CZMA is going to be looking to the future. We'll talk a little bit about um, the potential for a CZMA reauthorization this year. Um, but Rebecca, I'll turn to you. And if you want to sort of preview that and what that might mean for the the NERS, what would you like to see from a CZMA reauthorization uh, as it relates to the research reserve system? Well, the cool thing is, as Erica has explained, you know, the, the reserves are already out in front going well beyond exceeding what Congress put into statute 50 years ago. So, you know, the relying on local and native indigenous knowledge and ways of managing the land, stewarding the land, that's, that's being worked on around the country. The looking at change and how we can make communities more resilient in the face of climate change not written in the law currently, but it is happening at the reserves around the country. The idea of coming together collaboratively to answer real world problems, to do research that's grounded in what communities need to know, that's already happening. So I feel like it is a growth and an expansion of what we see occurring. And I think that this is a um, an organization that the NEARS, the Friends, OCM um, in NOAA, that has um, has really led coastal management to the next level in, in in how they practice taking care of the coast and working, as Erica described, with partners and among partners. So, um, you know, I think it'd be fantastic if we saw the law reflect what's going on and took us to the next level. But I have no doubt that this is in a group of um, states and and federal entities and partners all around the country on our coasts that are going to um, bring coastal management well beyond um, our our um, our most lofty goals and and hopes for what they could do in a time when we really need um, and people care about these places because that will not change people love the coast they love their reserves they love their estuaries and and we will be rising to that um, we'll be rising to that challenge so Thank you. Yeah. And a great, great way to sort of connect what the NEARS are doing with what the CZMA originally authorized for both the NEARS and coastal management writ large. It's a flexible law. It's a law that has withstood 50 years um, because it is flexible. It allows for, uh, not just allows, but almost requires collaboration and partnership. Um, also very much what uh, what's exemplified in the NERS. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me. Um, the final question for each of you is, is hopefully a fun personal one, um, which is what is your favorite uh, coastal area? So you can either, you can either set yourself up for uh, uh, and choose a, a specific NERS that you like, but I certainly wouldn't hold it against you if you don't want to, don't want to choose amongst your children and, and choose an area outside of the the reserve system as your favorite coastal area. Well, that's so funny, Derek, that you say choose among your children, because that's exactly what I thought. How can I not choose all of them? Um, 
And it is a tough question because I really do love all the reserves and they're all so unique. But but apart from thinking about specific reserves, I really I have to go back to my childhood and say that the North Carolina Outer Banks, uh, which is where we would vacation, is a very special place. I also did my graduate work in North Carolina estuaries. So I think uh, the winner for your question today has to be the beaches and marshes of North Carolina will always be very special to me. Excellent. Thank you, Erica. How about you, Rebecca? And likewise, I was thinking, um, I was thinking, you know, it's like a cats and dogs question, you know, beaches and lakes, and I'm like coast and lakes, and I'm definitely a coastal person. And I have happy memories on so many of the coastal locations. And that said, I too go back to my younger days in Southern California, and I would select Torrey Pines uh, State Park, where I um, had my first experience on a surfboard and spent many hours um pondering the world, I would say. <laughs> so. Well, you set me up. I'm ready to go uh, get on a surfboard and ponder the world. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious if ponder the world might be a euphemism for something else, but we will uh, we'll leave that to the next podcast. But um, thank you so much. Really appreciate you joining me today. Love learning more about the nurse. Uh, and thanks so much. Thank you.